Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. Hey, Noah is in studio with us today. Hey, Noah. Hi. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. We are so excited about those of you who have joined us on our prayer nights every Wednesday. It's a great way for us to connect to you personally. We love seeing your faces. We love praying for your adoption needs. And the group is growing. Noah, you love this group. I do. It's been something that has been near and dear to our hearts for a while because we do have adoption stories from all over the world. And so a lot of times you kind of feel like, how can I help in these stories? And this is a great practical way to, to pray for people and to help them. Yeah. In this show and what we do, we get to talk about the whole story, right? We know everything from beginning to end. And in the prayer group, we're walking alongside of couples and adoptees and birth parents who are right in the middle of their process. And that's really exciting to be a part of that journey with them. Yes, I agree. Well, we do love this show and adoption is a wonderful journey. If you're new to adoption now, we have four beautiful children because of adoption. And it's it's a great honor to tell stories from the perspective of adoptees, birth parents, and adoptive parents. And today we get to share a perspective from an adoption attorney. Catherine Pigeon has been an adoption attorney in Arizona for 33 years and participated in over three thousand adoptions. That's amazing. I know Kathy is in studio today. Kathy, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It really is such an honor. I feel like we have the president here. I mean, your work, your career, and what you have done to help families is just extraordinary. It really, really is. And as people are listening, I know they're going to love you. And I know that you are going to give life to people who feel kind of discouraged about the adoption community that they've joined, right? The agencies maybe are taking advantage of them or they've had a hard time with other attorneys and you are just such a light. And I enjoy the time that we pre-interviewed together, but let's talk about where you started. Why did you get into adoptions? First of all, thank you for all those kind words. I'll try to live up to that today. So I went to law school. I didn't really want to go. My dad kind of pushed me into going. Um, I really was on a career path to be an elementary school teacher because I just love children. And I went to school back in the late 70s where they didn't teach anything regarding children other than divorce and custody law. And mm. that wasn't really anything I was interested in. So I graduated from law school, moved to Arizona 40 years ago, started a family, and was doing construction law and not feeling very fulfilled, but was paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And along that way, I learned a little bit about adoption through a friend of mine that was working at an adoption agency. And she gave me my first uh, part-time job. I job shared with her, and Kelly Sifferman, she's an amazing adoption attorney as well. And it was as if lightning struck the first day I walked on the job. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And it really sounds corny, mm -hmm. but that is the truth because I am not touched personally by adoption. I have not had infertility. I'm not an adoptive parent. I'm not a birth mother, and I'm not an adoptee. 
which is unusual sometimes in our career because a lot of professionals that get into adoption are drawn there because of a personal story. Mm -hmm. I don't have that story, but it doesn't diminish my love for children and families. And as I started to grow my family, I just wanted every family I met to be able to have children and also to work with birth moms you know, they're just not in a position to parent for whatever reason. That has been a very special journey to walk side by side by the women that have worked with me and made an adoption decision. You and I talked about having understanding and how, even though you said that you didn't have a personal story connected to adoption, you have learned over the years how valuable it is to understand the story, right? To really get to know the birth parent or the adoptive parent. Talk to us about that. Yeah, the way I put it is I'm in the middle of disorder when I'm working on an adoption, typically. I'm either representing the birth mother or representing the adoptive parents. In Arizona, it's important to point out that we can't represent both sides, it's mm -hmm. unethical. So some days I'm uh, counsel for a birth mother, other days I'm counsel for an adoptive family. But I'm working with, with people on both sides of that triad that are probably in the worst place of their lives emotionally. Either a birth mother that's dealing with, again, a pregnancy that was not planned or a child that she wants to make a better plan for. And that is incredibly emotional. Um, mm -hmm. And then on the other side, we're working with a family that this is their only shot at building a family. They've been through infertility. They've been through shots and procedures and, you know, everything they've dreamed about is coming to fruition and it's highly emotional. It is really, I mean, we can go back to our, our adoptions and I remember one of our birth fathers said to us, this is your happiest day and my hardest day. And he was just crying as he was signing the paperwork and those words are always in my mind when we're talking about adoption. It's somebody's greatest day, fulfillment, as you said, and somebody's hardest, most painful day. Mm -hmm. And I just got shivers. I mean, literally the hair on my arms just went up when you said that, because that is exactly the truth. And I think there's so much pressure on attorneys such as myself to get it right. And yet, I can control the paperwork and I can control mm. um, the interpretation of the law, but I can't control people's lives. And it's a very emotionally charged job. And as I'm, you know, 33 years into it, I'm only, I think, beginning to realize the effect that it has had on me emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as an attorney doing adoption, it's not about deals, it's not about trials, it's about people's lives mm -hmm. and making the very best decision for a child that we all can make. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a lot of pressure. It really is. And that's a really important point is that we're talking about children, right? We were just talking about that, Noah. We were saying, these are children. And I think what you just said is one of my favorite things about you is a lot of times in the adoption industry, it's about the family as a whole, which it, it's not not about the family, but it's the child first. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that makes something very unique and special about you. Oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. I just moved again, as my granddaughter says, Nana, you move a lot. <laughs> and I just got an opportunity to go through many of the photos of the children who are now adults 
that I have worked with over the years or been a part of bringing together uh, with their their family, and it, it's very rewarding. I want to go back to the first job that you had. You said that lightning went off and you knew you were supposed to do it, but let's talk a little bit about ethical adoption because that agency actually opened your eyes to things that were not right. That is true. Everything in my life is never a straight line, and this career wasn't a straight path either. The agency that I went to work for, unbeknownst to me, was not ethical. And I was there about a year when, unfortunately, the agency was in a lot of hot water, let's put it that way. I left before they were shut down, but they were taken over by our attorney general's office for, for lack of a better way of saying it, selling children. And so I had such a unique perspective working there because I was so focused on memorizing the statutes and the laws, Title VIII is our, is our statutes, title for adoption, and reaching out and being as kind as and compassionate as I could be to the adoptive families that we worked with and or the birth moms. But what I didn't realize was they their practices were not ethical. So I was blessed because I left before it came crumbling down. So I was without a job. I was nine months pregnant, ironically, um, with my third child, my oops baby, devastated because all I could think of was all the families that I had met that I was working with that were mm. out. They were out tens of thousands of dollars and they were devastated. And I didn't feel like there was anything I could do about it. But the moral of the story is I learned how not to do an adoption. Mm -hmm. And I learned how not to treat people. And that lesson has stayed with me for my entire career. Mm -hmm. We are living in a world right now where unethical adoptions are happening by the numbers and scams are happening, right? Because people are being matched on Facebook. And there's a lot going on nationally with adoption. I would just like you to tell us as an attorney, what are some signs that people can look for when it's not ethical, but they got involved, right? They had no idea because we, I have chills even talking about it because we got involved with an attorney that we had no idea. We sent our $8,000 in and here we are in the midst of baby selling. I just would love for you to speak into that. Yeah, um, this really hurts my heart when I hear stories like yours because adoptive parents have never been in this position before and they get a little bit of information and they believe it and they can go down a horrible path. And now, I mean, think about it. When I started practicing law 33 years ago in adoption, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have computers, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have any of this stuff. And all of this social media, all these vehicles by which to reach out to people and take advantage of them have just skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is if it sounds too good to be true, mm. it's, My favorite it's not kosher, right? And, um, you know, I belong, I'm an, a, charter, a, a charter member, a original member of the American Academy of Adoption and Assisted Reproduction Attorneys. We call it the Quad A. It's a, it's a big mouthful. It's the four A's. And I, first of all, would highly recommend adoptive parents go on the website and look in your particular state 
and then uh, see which attorneys in your state belong to the academy mm. and start there. That's that so would have good. been helpful for us. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to guarantee that every person in the academy's personality is going to match your personality, but I can guarantee that they know what they're doing, they have tremendous experience, and they are held to a higher ethical code than any other attorney doing adoptions because we have our own code. Mm. The academy has their own code in addition to the state, the state bar of each state you're in. So that's a good starting point. I know there's this huge debate about whether adoption is a social issue that should only be handled by social workers or whether it's an illegal process. Well, it's both. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the legal process nailed down, you are never going to be able to do an adoption. And, you know, I'm so pained when I see on TV, you know, these horrible stories about, you know, children having to be returned or fraud families taking advantage of because I know that in a lot of those cases, they did not get the solid legal advice mm -hmm. that they needed. And the reason why the adoptive parents didn't is because they didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. So if there's nothing else that I can share today on this radio podcast, it's that you need to speak with an expert. And any of us in the field will sit down with you and do a consultation. Our office happens to do them um, now by Zoom just because of COVID, and we charge a nominal fee but it's worth every penny to get some solid legal advice as to what the laws are, what you can and can't do, mm -hmm. and then have a resource by which you can come to and say, you know, I was contacted by so-and-so. This is the situation. Do you see any red flags? Can you guide me? Because I guarantee you anybody that has the experience that I have will be able to point out the red flags. I feel, I didn't know I would be feeling emotional in this interview, but everything that we went through, I mean, what if we had had Catherine with us? What if we had been able to call somebody? What if we had a website that we could look at and say, hey, this is weird that he asked us for $8,000 flat and we didn't you know, have any paperwork going and all the things that we went through. I mean, I told you, Catherine, that we sat down with this attorney and I said, you know, I met the birth mom, which I went myself to her drug hotel and met her. And gosh, she seems like she's been through a lot. And he said, oh, if you don't like her, I've got a bunch of other girls that'll have a baby for you. Like he had a brothel of all these women. And then as I dug deeper, they were having their second baby, third baby, right? And these families had no idea. They're like, oh, our birth mom is pregnant again for the fourth time. And I'm thinking they don't even know that she is selling her babies to these families, right? It just blew the lid off of it and made this beautiful thing of adoption so disheartening and so different than what I understood it to be. And then I realized we were in it thousands of dollars and we were not rich. We did not have a lot of money. $8,000 was all we could scrape together. And if we didn't go along with what he said, he was going to take that baby from us. And he threatened us several times to take the baby, to pay her more, to find another adoptive family that would pay her more. I mean, he was yanking us around and there was nothing that we could do. And that was so frustrating. And I know that we get so many people from so many different states telling us they're right in the middle of that. What can they do besides asking you for help, people like you? Well, I know that it's difficult when you've met the birth mom and you have made that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. 
to the birth mom and the unborn child to then pull back when you see right in front of you that there are illegal practices going on. Mm -hmm. But I think what I would caution families to think about is if the process is illegal or allegedly illegal or, you know, in your case, you know, these demands for money and whatnot, that is the premise by which an adoption can be undone. And so you don't want to go forward and be bullied into these practices only to find out that that child can be taken away from you because you've now committed a felony as well. Mm. Um, that's how high the stakes are, wow. for lack of a better way to say it. And that's why everything has to be done in a legal fashion and ethically so that at the end of the, your journey, the adoption is rock solid and you know, there can be no undoing of consents because of fraud, duress, or undue influence. You know, I have to caution everything I say. I'm based on Arizona law because this is the only state I'm licensed in. Mm -hmm. But most states have similar laws. And in our state, you can't sign a consent as a birth parent until three days after birth, no sooner than three days. But after you sign, unless you can prove fraud, duress, or undue influence, um, that adoption cannot be undone. And those are three very high um, tests, and it, it's not worth messing with them because you know you don't you don't want to lose the child that you work so hard to adopt. Right. We, in our case, if you're wondering, you're listening, you're like, well, what happened? <laughs> did you illegally adopt her? <laughs> we did adopt her, but we had made such a strong connection with mom and dad that when we came to them and said, listen, this is what is happening. And this attorney is not even taking care of you. We're sending money to him and he's not even paying for your medical. They trusted us enough to say, okay, what do we do? And we brought in another attorney at that time and we kind of all band together to figure this out in an ethical way. And if you're in the middle of that, I really pray for that to happen. Well, you had built that relationship with that birth mom. And what's crazy is, so when we went to the birth parents and said, this is what's happening, they did have a moment of hesitation and then went back to the lawyer and the lawyer said, oh, don't worry if it doesn't work out with them. I can find another family that will give you even more money. And thankfully we had the relationship. And so they went back to us and actually told us, this is what the attorney said. And we're like, uh-uh, we're gonna do this. I think the other thing too that I would encourage our listeners, and I, I think you would agree is, especially when it comes to infertility or families that are really looking to adopt, one thing that can trap you into making these crazy decisions with lawyers is, you're so convinced that this has got to happen this way that these lawyers almost prey on desperation, right? So if you can go at it from a less emotional perspective, and I know that's hard to do because it is such an emotional um, event, but to be able to say, yes, we can take a look at this from a logical perspective, because if you have that desperation, oh my gosh, I feel like these lawyers are going to latch onto that and grab you and pull you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really uh, valid point. And I'm glad you brought up your connection with your birth mother because that's what I advise my adoptive families that I that I represent. Um, there's it's so important to have that personal connection with the birth mom. Now, you know, 33 years ago, all of our adoptions were were closed. Mm -hmm. And that was all we knew back then. Um, so it was rare in my early career. 
to have families um, be able to contact or, or even meet the birth mom. They didn't want to or they were fearful of it. Um, and that was a tremendous amount of pressure on me as a professional because, you know, a birth mother that I may feel is articulate, intelligent, um, beautiful, whatever, you know, wording you want to use, it's the family that has to feel that connection. And I felt like I was always in the middle, mm. not that I was taking advantage of them, but I just felt huge pressure on my on myself. I absolutely embrace open adoption. Um, I think there's so many reasons for it to be positive and you just isolated one particular issue, which is even if you don't have an open adoption after the adoption finalizes, it, say your birth mother, and you decide that you're not going to do meetings after a baby's placed, the fact that you've met and had time to share family history and just likes and dislikes and what kind of food do you like and you know what's your favorite color, you develop a rapport and a trust. And I think that's the word, trust, right? Isn't adoption all built on the word trust? You need to trust your agency. You need mm -hmm. to trust your attorney. You need to trust your birth mother. Birth mother needs to trust you. And that's where I think there are problems when you don't have trust with all of these individuals. And you're absolutely right. I have never forgotten the power that I could have over the people I mm -hmm. work with. And that's just, it's terrible to think that there are professionals that hold that power over you. And, and you're right, you can't be desperate. You, you have to be focused and logical as best you can and keep digging down for answers. The good news. Yes. That lawyer was disbarred. I remember you telling me that. Yes. yes. And we didn't have to do anything. Now, some people, they go to the bar afterwards. They wait till everything's finalized and they go and, and they are a voice to say, you can't do this to any more people. We were so exhausted after mm -hmm. the whole thing. I can't even imagine fighting that fight. Well, and that, that's a very good point as well, because uh, every so often, you know, I'm involved in an adoption where um, the other attorney, whether birth mother's attorney or adoptive family. I'm not happy with what's happened and the family's not happy. And, you know, many times I've said, look, you know, you can file a bar complaint that that is your, um, you know, your ability to, mm -hmm. to, so that maybe you prevent somebody else from going through this. But that's the exact reaction I get. I'm exhausted. I just want to move on with my life. I want to put this behind me and Oh my gosh, of course I understand that. Mm -hmm. But that's, we, we can't stop the behavior because there's no consequence. Mm -hmm. Right. In our case, he did not pay his taxes. So it didn't come down on an adoption issue. It was actually on a tax issue. And contempt of court. He didn't show up. Yeah. So it's interesting how it kind of unfolded and made us who we are and what we really are passionate about. And so when we connected... I was just feeling a breath of fresh air, just like, oh my goodness, you haven't made your fees go higher. I mean, that that is crazy to me and wonderful. You said that most of your adoptions are less than $15,000. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, when we talk about expenses and adoption, again, in Arizona, there are five categories. So, so families are not paying our office $15,000. Um, when I quoted you that number as an average, it's the total. So in Arizona, a family can pay the attorney for the birth mother's expenses or fees, 
and their attorney, they have to be certified to adopt in Arizona. So they have to uh, engage an agency to do that. Attorneys don't certify you. So there's that cost. And then what's called a post-placement adoption uh, report. Um, you can pay counseling for the birth mother. You can pay medical costs not covered by insurance in Arizona. Uh, a lot of birth mothers do have private insurance or are on access. Um, so there may not be any medical or there may be co-pays and deductibles. It depends upon the situation. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, uh, an Arizona family can pay living expenses to a birth mother if um, they are reasonable and related to the pregnancy um, they're covered under a statute that's number is 8-114. It's a very important statute for adoptive parents to become familiar with. And you're not allowed as a family to pay more than $1,000 without stopping and going to court to get approval. Um, so, um, you know, Arizona, I think, has very fair laws when it comes to expenses. But when I quoted you that number, that was the total. So our office, so my law partner, Tiffany Hill, and I, um, we, don't take, we don't take cases for money. Um, and I know that might sound superficial, but I mean it with all my heart. Um, this is how I built my practice. And um, Tiffany and I are very strong on that. Now, of course, we have to be paid for our services and we're experts in what we do. Um, but there's a reasonable amount you can charge. So typically, our retainer is about $4,000 to represent. Um, a birth mother. And that's not a finder's fee. I, I hate to even say that because it sounds so callous, but that's not a matching fee. That's our work, mm -hmm. our, our work to represent the birth mom. If we represent the adoptive family, it's going to be less because there's less work involved. Hmm. Um, the, the most work is representing the birth mother because they're, you know, we're, we're working perhaps, you know, five, six months in the pregnancy, helping them. We're not social workers. We don't pretend to be, but we wind up doing some social work as well, you know, helping them um, with different life um, crises that they have. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's just a lot of work on the front end. Uh, so um, those are our average fees. And, you know, we're, we're pretty proud that we've kept them as low as we have. <laughs> April was right. Before this, she said, you're going to meet her and you're going to want to adopt again. And I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, what's happening yes. right now? <laughs> I told you. I do want to say, when you talked about, Noah, you said another family uh, was going to pay more. I do want to go back to that because what you're talking about, Catherine, is what he was talking about. And we paid post-placement. So that attorney was saying, we'll pay you so much. We'll find a family that will pay way more post-placement. But I will tell you, we paid more than $1,000 in post-placement. And that is a very important question that you want to ask. What is the cap for the state? What am I legally allowed to really help this birth parent with? Sometimes a birth parent will say, well, can you buy me a car? Can you help me with college? Can you, you know, can you help me in my life? Yeah. I mean, again, I can only speak to Arizona law, but in Arizona, again, the statute sets forth very clearly. You can help with uh, expenses that are related to the health and the welfare of the unborn child and the mother. What that means is you cannot buy a car, you cannot pay for college, you cannot buy them a house, uh, you cannot buy them plane tickets, you know, on a on a vacation. It has to be related to the pregnancy, uh, and it can't in Arizona you can't start or go backwards mm. and um, pay expenses for all nine months if you started working with the birth mom say in in month eight. It doesn't work that way. 
Um, and you can typically uh, ask for expenses for approximately six weeks to two months after delivery, particularly if she has a C-section, the birth mother has a C-section. And again, it, it's all subjective. Our, our statute, and I like it, is not, it doesn't list every single line item in the statute, but it it, it does um, allow um, a family to have some flexibility because each birth mother is different. We've worked with birth mothers that have a horrible uh, you know, life situation and need housing immediately mm-hmm. and don't have a cell phone and have no clothes or food. Then we work with birth moms that you know maybe live at home or um, are working very hard and, and they just want one month of expenses when they take maternity leave. Every situation is different. And so our statute allows that flexibility. Um, but beneath all of that verbiage in a statute is the bottom line. This needs to be ethical. And, and, and we also, in the statute, it sets forth that a birth mother must understand in Arizona, if she is, accepts any expenses that are approved by the court, she, this is not in return for her signing a consent. Mm-hmm. So a question I get asked a lot is, well, say we you know, pay for expenses that are approved by the court, and we've been paying them for four months, and then she delivers, and after the third day, she changes her mind. Are, are we able to get the money back? No, you cannot, because the, the money was not mm-hmm. a promise in return for a placement of a child. They're two separate issues. Mm-hmm. And the birth mother has to make that decision after three days based on what's right for her and the child. I want you to tell us your favorite story, and I'm sure you have a lot, so you have to pick one. Okay, this, this one's <laughs> really, really hard, but... Um, I think I know the one I want to talk about because I have permission to talk about it. And I, I don't know if you saw the photos that yes. I sent to you, but I sent you some photos. And can we post those? Yes, you can. Okay. Yeah, you have permission. Um, so I think Kira is going to be 18 this year, 17 or 18. So it's about 17 or 18 years ago. Um, I had a birth mother's mother call me and she was referred to me by a um, OBGYN that her daughter was seeing. They were actually residents of Michigan, but they had a winter home here in Arizona. And the um, birth mother's mom and father had determined that she should leave the state of Michigan to deliver this baby, which is very sad. So the birth mother's mom called me and Pam, and she said, you know, you've been highly recommended by the OBGYN. And she started to tell me the story that, you know, they had uh, decided that the daughter should live in Arizona. And I didn't care for the story. Um, I was like, I don't, I don't like these dynamics. And, you know, it's not your decision, it's your daughter's decision. And I felt like she was already being manipulated in a very tough time in her life. So I declined to represent the, the daughter. And so then her mom called me back again a couple of days later. And she literally said, please, please represent my daughter. So I met with them. And I'm really glad I did because I instantly fell in love with Lauren, um, my uh, former client, my birth mom. And um, we just hit it off. And so we're in the office. And um, again, the adults in the room um, are kind of making decisions for Lauren. And I said, well, first of all, I represent Lauren. I don't represent you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to Lauren directly. And because uh, they said, you need, we want you to find a family in Arizona. And I said, well, Lauren, do you want an open adoption or closed adoption? And again, 17 years ago, open was rare. Mm-hmm. And she said, 
I want an open adoption. I said, okay, then we're not looking for an Arizona family because you don't live here. You live in Michigan. And how are you going to have an open relationship if the baby's all the way across country? So um, we made that determination. And um, Lauren, uh, Lauren was carrying a child that was biracial, is biracial, I should say. And so that, um, you know, filtered in another factor in how, what kind, which family I would be able to help her find. And she was totally putting her faith in me to find her family. She didn't have any leads. You know, nowadays, a lot of birth mothers come to us and they've already met their family through outreach, through friends of family, church, whatever. But this birth mother said, I want you to find the family. And that's tough. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. So long story short, I put some feelers out in Michigan to an American Academy uh, attorney that I knew, Monica, um, and uh, she found the most amazing family who, um, they're Caucasian, they had adopted another child, they very much um, were open to Lauren's story, and they have the most incredible open adoption that I think I've ever been involved in. And um, I just actually contacted her yesterday to ask her if I could speak about this. And I've gotten to see her several times since I've been back in Michigan. Um, I have met um, her, um, uh, both her daughters, uh, her birth daughter that she chose adoption for, Kira, who's a senior, I believe, now in, in high school, and um, great student, athlete, darling, darling young woman. And also uh, her second daughter, that she's parenting as a single parent now. Um, and uh, it, the way that the two families have meshed is so um, God-driven. Hmm. Uh, they're very strong believers. They believe this. I believe it. I was just you know, being used in that position to find the right family for her. And I just believe it's totally sent down from above. Um, she was there for her christening. She was there for, she's been there for all her, you know, great moments. Um, she, uh, uh, Kira, her uh, older daughter, you know, is with Arya all the time. And, and, and the way they, they just relate to each other is so precious. And, um, uh, Lauren was married for a while, and uh, Kira was a bridesmaid, and uh, her parents were right there on the receiving line with um, uh, Lauren's birth parents. And I, I just I can't say enough about the relationship that they all have with each other, and it's all for the best interests of Kiara. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently, Lauren posted something on social media about her adoption. Um, and it was a letter that Kiera had uh, done a little birthday um, tribute to her with photos of her birth and and um, different letters and whatnot. And I commented, and Kiera reached out to me on social media, and I'm gonna start crying. Hmm. Said, "Thank you for finding my adoptive family and making this possible. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have." all of these people in my life who love me so much. So that's got to be one of my top 10. <laughs> I love that so much. And that's, that's what everybody wants adoption to be or what we hope for it to be is just so many more people in the child's life to love the child. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
if people in other states want to have you represent them, can they? Oh, good question. I know, again, I'm, my law partner Tiffany and I are only licensed in the state of Arizona. Now, if a family out of state locates a birth mother in Arizona, we can represent the birth mother for them. Or if they would like um, for us to hold their, um, I call it profile for lack of a better term, you know, their dear birth mother book or and all their information, as long as they're home studied in their home state, then we're allowed to do that. And what we do is we do a consultation um, by Zoom because uh, we want to get to know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to hold their information. Um, there's no guarantee that, you know, we'll find a birth mother for them because we don't deal in volume like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're happy to do that for them. And certainly if they locate a birth mother in Arizona, we'd be be honored to help them by representing their birth mother. That's great. Uh, I would encourage you if you're waiting on a list and you just want to open up your options, send your profile to Miss Catherine (laughs) and just open up the doors to, to different possibilities. We were so trapped in our one state and our first adoption. We had no idea that it was an option to go anywhere else. So nowadays there's so many other avenues and we encourage you to seek that out. But thank you so much. Thank I you just for having me. Enjoy you. I hope you'll come back to the show. I just want everybody to be hopeful about adoption. Um, it's a beautiful way to build a family as as you know. <laughs> and uh, just want to see everybody successful. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionoutpodcast.com. We'd love for you to subscribe to get our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on Adoption Now. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.